What do you guys think of um, when you hear the phrase, the pursuit of happiness? What comes to mind? Will Smith. Will Smith. Okay, there we go. I was actually not expecting that reference, but I, I probably should have. The Constitution. The Constitution. Yeah, United States Constitution. Okay. Declaration of Independence. Any other thoughts? <laughs> the pursuit of happiness. Um, our uh, founding fathers, as a country, um, wanted to guarantee in the United States um, the, that we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And um, I think, uh, I guess, I, guess I, I was thinking about this this week as I was, I was looking at this passage in Acts that we're going to continue in, um, in our study <clears throat> this morning. Um, we're learning about how the, the early church um, learned to be a witness how these early disciples um, understood God's command to witness. And how they then, um, as they began that process, as the, the church began to really explode, they had to learn how to be together. And when I thought about that, I thought, that doesn't really feel like the kind of, of culture that we live in. In fact, the kind of culture that we live in um, is so in love with the pursuit of happiness that it seems like every other, um, well, if we could say this, can we put it this way? Every other sin that you can think of is dismissed. But the one sin that remains is denying somebody their personal happiness. If you deny somebody's pursuit of personal happiness, you have, you have committed the ultimate sin in our culture. Now, you may or may not agree with me on that. That's okay. Uh, however, however um, the fact is that we live in a, in a culture, that we live in a, a country that is really in love with the idea of personal satisfaction, personal fulfillment, a personal rights, and the pursuit of happiness is just part and parcel of the, the kind of ethos that we live in as, as, a, uh, as a people, as Americans, as, as Westerners even. The problem though with that, that, the, that if, if we were to consider that the, that the only real number one ultimate sin in our, in, in our culture is to deny someone personal happiness, um, then we would think that the cure would be uh, give people personal happiness. That would be the cure. That would be the cure for that. That would take care of that. Make sure everybody's happy. The problem is that the Bible doesn't say anything about the cure being personal happiness. In fact, personal happiness is actually the ultimate idol personal satisfaction, personal fulfillment, personal um, uh, self-actualization is really the ultimate idol 
The real cure is in God's design for our lives. The real cure is God's design for our lives. And as we will see here from Acts, the design that God has for our lives is for us to be together, to experience community. To be together, to experience community. So the big idea that I want us to, to, to see in this really actually short passage of Acts this morning, at least compared to last week's passage, but in this short passage I want you guys to see that we are together because God's design for us is to be His people in community. That's God's design for us. That's God's design for the church. To be together in community. So, if you will, uh, maybe you've already, hopefully you've already, some of you have already turned there, but if you haven't already, turn with me to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles or your devices or whatever you have or just attentive ears. Um, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read this summary statement in verses 42 to 47. 42 to 47. Follow along with me as I read aloud. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We know no, no word from, from your Bible, from the scriptures, is put there by accident. That every word comes from you. That God, um, every word is a message that you want us to hear. And not just to hear, but to then do something about, to respond to it in faith and, and trust in you. And to be changed and transformed by it. So God, we ask that you will work within us by your Spirit. Help us to see, help us to understand, and then help us um, by empowering us to do the work that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let me show you first of all that uh, as, we, as we dissect this passage, I want to show you first of all that we are together by devoting ourselves. By devoting ourselves. We've talked about this before. This idea of, of devotion. Um, the English Standard Version says they devoted themselves they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This idea of devotion, we've seen it before. Um, in fact, we saw it uh, a few weeks ago when we began this series um, in Acts. And we saw that the, the disciples were with one accord. Um, they were devoting themselves to prayer. They were devoting themselves to prayer. And then here we have um, them devoting themselves to not only the prayers, plural, 
with a definite article, the prayers, but they were devoting themselves to these other things as well. They were devoting in the sense that, that this was something that they gave their attention to, they gave their mind to. And what they gave their mind to were these, these four things. Actually, I think I, I, I would call them rhythms. I think that's a good way of talking about it. These four rhythms of life. You know, we all have rhythms. We sleep, we eat, we work, we play. Um, we, we do stuff with our family. Uh, we learn. We've got the school here. We've got um, higher education. And we've got seminaries. And we've got Bible studies. And we've got things like that. And we have these rhythms of life, right? And these disciples devoted themselves to these rhythms. And, and here are these four rhythms. Number one, the first rhythm that they devoted themselves was learning. I mean, we're all learners. Everyone's learning. We're learning all the time. They were devoted to this. And not just any kind of learning. They didn't just say, hey, you know what we ought to do is get more degrees. Hey, what we ought to do is get more, attend more classes or read more books. They said, we ought to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We ought to devote ourselves to the message of Christ that they're proclaiming. We ought to devote ourselves to the scriptures that they are using and, and using in their worship and they're expressing to us the truths of Christ out of. And so we look at that and we go, well, if we're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, we ought to devote ourselves to what they taught and what Jesus taught, which is the Old Testament scriptures. We ought to devote ourselves to what they wrote down, which is the New Testament scriptures, the Gospels, the letters, the book of Acts itself. They devoted themselves to learning. This rhythm of learning meant that they devoted themselves to God's Word. They devoted themselves to God's Word. They also devoted themselves to um, belonging. We all belong to somebody. You know, it's one of the saddest things in the world to meet a person who feels like doesn't belong, right? Maybe you felt that way before yourself. I just don't really belong anywhere. I don't have any tribe. I don't have any family. I don't have any people to call my own. I just don't belong anywhere. I don't know where I fit in. So maybe I'll try this crowd. That didn't work for a while. I'll try this crowd. I'll try this crowd. Our kids go, are going through that. You know, they're trying to trying to find a place to belong in middle school or in high school. Or sometimes even in as early as elementary school, they're facing those issues, right? Belonging. That is a rhythm of life. It's a rhythm of life to want to belong, to want to, to be united with other people, to feel like you're, you're part of something, you're part of a group, that other people are counting on you. That's, what they, that's this rhythm called fellowship in the New Testament. Fellowship. The, the word fellowship, uh, so let me Greek out on you a little bit here, is koinonia. I love that word. In fact, it was one of the, one of the first, probably besides the word agape, which probably most of you, if I said agape, many of you would be, oh yeah, yeah, you're talking about love, right? Love, Greek love in the Bible, yeah. Some of you may go, that's a new, th a new word for me. But koinonia was one of those early words that I learned when I was just a kid. And when we look at the word fellowship, especially as... Um, as Western Christians, American Christians, or dare I say even as Baptist Christians, what we think of is, well, uh, yeah, fellowship, that's like potluck, right? Or that's like when we do like fellowship events. 
we get together and we kind of have fun and, and um, Pastor, uh, don't pray. We don't, we don't need to do prayer or, or please don't talk about the Bible here. We're, this is a fellowship time, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. I hope none of you have ever done that. <clears throat> but for, for, the, the, uh, for the disciples in this early church, fellowship was koinonia. Fellowship was a community. Fellowship was belonging together. Fellowship wasn't just kind of hanging out and having fun, although they did do that. That should be part of it. But it's not the only thing. It meant they were, they were, they were united uh, in their lives. Um, I love I love the way um, I love the way the 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 brothers and sisters at Soma Communities, uh, which started out over in Tacoma, led by Jeff Vanderstelt. I love the way they talk about this kind of koinonia, this kind of fellowship. They talk about it as life on life. That when that we are actually rubbing elbows with each other, that we're working together, we're playing together, that our lives rub off on other people's lives as we experience that kind of belonging, that kind of fellowship with each other. They, develop, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We could say that's the Word, the Bible, uh, Scripture, to this rhythm of learning and and the fellowship, the koinonia, this, this kind of rhythm of belonging. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and really those two things um, represent the rhythms of eating and worshiping. We're already doing part of that right here. We're worshiping together. We're worshiping together as we, as we um, experience the prayers. For them it was probably there were set prayers that they learned as, as good Jewish um, followers of, of Yahweh and they learned these prayers and they learned these psalms and they were probably many spontaneous prayers like we, like we have recorded and we'll see later on as we, as we journey with the uh, apostles and the rest of the disciples through Acts. We'll see these spontaneous prayers. Well, they were devoted to all kinds of praying. Man, they've been praying all over the place. Every week it seems like w one of the major points of the message is prayer. The, the apostles prayed. The disciples prayed together. And they just don't stop that. They're devoted to the prayers. They're devoted to the breaking of bread. That means they, they have this rhythm of eating together. It's a really actually a cool thing when you, when you get into, if you were to do a little background study on what this meant for uh, the, the Jewish Christians at this time to eat together. And those of you who have experienced maybe eating in another culture, especially in Eastern cultures, you know that it's a big deal. It's a big deal to be invited into somebody's home to share a meal together. You know, we think, hey, we'll go, we'll go grab a, we'll go grab some food. Let's just run through the Mickey D's, um, or let's let's splurge and we'll go to Sonic instead. Um, and we think that that that's a that's a we're going to kind of share a meal together. But for them, it's it's as, it's an intimate experience. <laughs> They're in, they're in that meal together. They're, they're actually sharing a dish together. They're breaking the same loaf of bread. I wonder how they dealt with allergies and gluten and all things like that at that time. They just kind of, I guess they just kind of fought their way through it or maybe they had a different constitution than we have nowadays. 
But man, they broke bread together. They ate the same meal. They, and it was awesome. But how, how, is, how is learning, belonging, eating, and worshiping going in, our, in the rhythms of our own lives as a church? How, how are we doing these rhythms that, that are part of God's design for His people? Look what else. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty good, um, straightforward sort of, uh, I guess I could put it this way. It's a good translation. It says what they were doing. But do you know, really, actually, uh, the, the exact words are, they were being devoted to the temple. The exact same word as in verse 42, where they devoted themselves to these four rhythms. In verse 46, they were devoted to the temple together and the breaking bread in their homes. It comes up again a second time, which tells me that's probably pretty important. It was a pretty important rhythm because twice in this passage, they talk about breaking bread together and receive their food. Wow, food is mentioned a third time um, with glad and generous hearts and praising God. These rhythms of, <clears throat> of their lives that are part of God's design were expressed as unity. As unity. Attending the temple, the word together, in some translations, is with one accord. With one accord. We've seen that phrase before, haven't we? With one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. That means it wasn't something they said, yeah, this is a good idea. You know, worshiping together in a large group, that's a great idea. And if you can get around to doing that, that's cool. Um, or, or breaking bread in homes, that's a pretty good idea. Um, and, you know, do that. In fact, I break bread at home every, every day. Me and my family and, you know, and we're, we're doing that and, and we're, we're, being, we're being joyous and sincere in our hearts and, and we're praising God and I, I, I can worship God in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places because ultimately my personal experience is what really matters. But here, they were together with one accord. There was a kind of unity in their rhythms that I think we miss out on. And I, I want to put it that way. Miss out on. They had the temple. They had their homes. They had joy, sincerity, praising God. And it was all done together. We might find um, this sort of description here um, very um, uh, ideal. <laughs> Look at that and go, well, that was pretty, that's that pretty ideal description. Um, as well as, uh, that was 2,000 years ago. Uh, that was a different culture. That was a different time. Maybe it was a different, a different uh, dispensation. Let me put it that way. But what I see here is the people of God doing what God designed them to do as the people of God. To be together. To be united. And I think I can prove it too. In John 17, 
You don't have to turn with me, but if you'd like to, you can turn with me to John 17 and look very briefly at Jesus' prayer. His last prayer before his arrest and his uh, death and his resurrection. And he begins his prayer praying, uh, well, sort of praying for himself, um, praying in reference to himself and God and his, his relationship with God the Father and acknowledging that he's done what God called him to do and came to glorify the Father. And then he also prays for his disciples, the people present with him at that time, the people he's been investing in, the people that he's been together with, the people where, that he has been sharing these God-designed rhythms with. And then in verse 20 he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So when the, when the message goes out from the disciples, when, when Jesus says, go uh, into all the world uh, uh, or make disciples of all nations in all the world and uh, make all the world your disciples and however you want to translate it. And when he says, you will be my witnesses, well, they did it. And that word went out from them and it went to a gen new generation and another generation and then it came to us. And we've received it. And guess what? Jesus was praying for us right here. And what does he say? He says that they may be one. They may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God wants us to be one. What, is that? what, what that means is he wants us to be united. Just like the, the Trinity has perfect community. You know, God didn't create us because he was lonely. He was perfectly happy. Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity, perfect community. It doesn't really get any better than that. But his love and his glory overflowed. And he said, I want you to create people who will share that kind of community, who will experience that kind of love and that kind of unity. And he did, and he created a people. And he's recreating a people through the gospel. He's recreating a people to experience that kind of unity that the Trinity experiences. It's called the church. We are together by devoting ourselves in these rhythms of life, in this worship together, in the learning of God's Word. And we do that by being devoted with one accord in unity. We're devoted, or excuse me, we are together by devoting ourselves. We are also together by sharing ourselves. So this is the part where people get a little bit worried. All, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they think, what is this common stuff? This communism? What is this kind of share, sharing together? And they had everything in common, so what they do? They just pull, pulled all their resources and said, okay, now here's the common purse. Okay, now nobody has any belongings. Well, and maybe they did do that. I don't know. Maybe we'll see, we'll see a little bit more of that in chapter 4, how that worked out and how they applied that idea. But something was going on here. They were sharing themselves and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings. Selling their possessions and belongings and they were giving it, giving uh, the, the resources then to any who had need. They were, they were identifying people 
all around them, within and probably without the community, who had needs. I would add from, to the other four rhythms of learning, belonging, eating, and what was the fourth one? Worshipping. I would add this to that. I would add, uh, I would add sharing and giving. And that's what they were doing. They were sharing what they had with other people. Say, you need, you need, you need uh, a lawnmower? I'll let you borrow my lawnmower. You need a car? I'll let you borrow my car. I'll share my car with you. Uh, you need a place to stay? I'll, I'll share my place to stay. And then they, they gave. They said, well, uh, you need some financial resources? Well, I don't need that. I've got, in fact, right now I've got about 13 or 14 uh, bags of, well, probably what Ariel and Maddie would call junk, just ready to be uh, offloaded, either shared with somebody or sold and given the money to the poor, given money to somebody who needs it, sharing it with other people. They, they engaged in these rhythms of sharing and giving. All of these rhythms, by the way, I'll point this out. All of these rhythms uh, express a continual, ongoing aspect. It wasn't a, a one-time event. They had, a, they had an event, a, a giving event, and they just all came and they said, okay, on this date, we all gave this. Good to go. Now I can go back with, with, to my life and I can pursue personal happiness. Actually, God's design is for all of these rhythms to be an ongoing, continual aspect of our life. And if you look at, in detail at the, the way the language is here, it's expressing that very thing. That these were ongoing, habitual aspects of their lives together. It's pretty awesome. It's just, the, it, was a, it, was a, it was a different way of thinking. Maybe it is for some of us, too. I thought about this the other day as I was preparing. I thought, what if I were to express to you this statement? I breathed yesterday. What would you think? I, I went, <sighs> that's what I did yesterday. That's all. That's the only. That, that's it. That was the. That was the. That was the experience of my breathing yesterday. One uh, inspiration and one expiration. No, you would think. Oh well, he breathed yesterday. Meaning, he breathed in and out all day, <laughs> all day long. Hopefully, right? And I'm still here, which proves the fact that I was breathing in and out all day long yesterday. I was continually breathing in and out yesterday. It was an ongoing rhythm of my life. <laughs> In fact, it was an ongoing unconscious rhythm of my life. I think that's what God's design is for us. That these rhythms of our life become so continuous, not one-time occasions, but so continual, so ongoing, that they just become as regular in our lives as breathing. But we don't have to think about that. If you think about people who are in physical difficulty to the point where they have to think about and really labor in breathing, 
It's a very, it's a tragic situation. If you've ever been there going, <gasps> trying to catch my breath. And to imagine that being your day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day experience. Yeah? Is it supposed to be like that? Maybe not. Probably not. Probably wasn't God's design that we experience that like that. You know, He kind of designed it to be a natural function. And then the brokenness of our world and our lives, things don't work the way they do. Uh, living according to God's design is not a normal thing for us. Living in a sinful world. Living in a broken world. But I think what we see here is we see in this passage right here in Acts, we see the story of the apostles commissioned by God, told to wait, told to get ready in prayer, making godly decisions based on His Word, based on the mission, based on their prayers again, based on the community, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them to enable them for the mission that God's called them to do. And then we see them going, well... God's given us everything we need to be devoted to these kinds of rhythms that God has designed us for. To be together. To be together by devoting ourselves to these rhythms. To be together by sharing ourselves with others in need. And look at the final thing, briefly, I hope, because it's just a few phrases, but... We are together by growing. By growing. That's kind of a crazy thing. And I thought, well, to make it consistent, I would say by growing ourselves, because that works with all the other aspects of the, the main emphases of the message. But that's not really what happened, it, it was it. We don't grow ourselves. You don't say, hey, um, Maddie, grow yourself. She just does it Naturally, because God created her to grow. And that's what He's created His people to do. He's created His people to grow, naturally. And when they don't grow, there's something wrong. When we don't reproduce, there's something wrong. Physically, biologically, something. And God has created the church to be together by growing growing. Look what happened. In verse 43, I'm going to back up to verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. Every soul. Awe came. Another way of putting that is fear. Fear. The fear of God. Maybe the fear of the church. But whatever it was, uh, Luke is writing this and going, this was pretty awesome. I mean, there was like this really healthy fear of what was going on. And, and, and outsiders, in other words, they, they had this healthy fear of, of who God was and God's work. And the people. And, and then look what they saw. Many wonders and signs were being done. Miracles were happening as, as the apostles, as the disciples, as this early church was together according to God's design. Miracles were taking place. Wouldn't you like to see some wonders and signs happen? Wouldn't that be pretty awesome? Wouldn't it be cool if, to actually experience um, the empowerment of God to the point where we can communicate with some of the people around us in a language that they speak? <laughs> a language that I don't know, or very little of anyway? 
Wouldn't it be amazing to see um, signs and wonders happening among us so that people were going, whoa, what is going on here? Why are these people living like they're living? Why are they, what are, why are they doing the things that they're doing? And we see also the outsiders uh, in the church, or outsiders from the church, excuse me, were showing the church favor. Back to verse 47, they said they were having favor with all the people. The people looked on the church and said, something's going on there. They've turned, they, their lives are turned upside down. Uh, the community has been turned upside down. People's lives are being transformed. People's families are being transformed. What is going on here? I'm pretty grateful for them. I think that's probably, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good thing to have happen. To have somebody, somebody in, in your local school say, I'm grateful for you guys. Come up and say, come up and say to me, because just because I happen to be visiting, um, I happen to be, be visiting an after school program, a Good News Bible Club one day and have a teacher come up to me and said, hey, I really appreciate what you guys are doing, your church is doing. I said, I'm just a guest here. I, I'm not responsible for this. He said, I don't care. I still know you're, you're part of the River Church and you guys have been blessing our school in, in all kinds of little small ways, you know. And they said, and, and, and to show that kind of gratitude, not because of what I'm doing, but because of what the church is through Christ. And what God has enabled us to do. The outsiders were showing favor and showing grace and gratitude to the people of God. And then this is the exciting part. <laughs> this is the exciting part for me. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What do we want to see happen? Growth? We want to see people saved. We want to see growth happen because people are coming to know Christ. And they're belonging to the community. And they're learning with us. And they're eating with us. Right? And they're worshiping with us. And sharing and giving with us. That's what we want to see. And that's what was happening to them. They actually grew. Disciples got made. How do you think this is going to happen? Can this happen in the River Church? Could what, what the disciples um, experienced here and this kind of growth that in one, in one, in one moment, in verse 41, 3,000 souls were added and assimilated and began to belong to the community. And then at the end, here he says, oh, by the way, that wasn't just a one-day event. Day by day. Every day, this happened. Every day, people were coming to know the Lord. You guys want to see that happen? Why, are we, why else are we here? Why are we here? We're not playing church. Matthew 5. And I am going to invite you to turn to, to this with me. So I want to show you something in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, the beginning of, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' message to his disciples about the kingdom. And here's what he has to say. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says this. You... I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Who's he talking about? Uh, you all? You all? It, it, the disciples there? Every disciple of every generation? But not just you as an individual. That's why I'm going to pause there. Because unfortunately, our English language doesn't do too good with these pronouns to tell us if it's one person or more than one. That's a plural you. That means you all, or as my brothers and sisters would say in other parts of the country, y'all. Y'all are the light of the world. That's what he's saying. You all, you all collectively, all of you all, <laughs> emphatically you, all are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your, plural, y'all's, light, <laughs> shine before others so that they may see y'all's good work and give glory to y'all's Father who is in heaven. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? We learned that when we were kids. This light is a community light. That's what it is. It's not a tiny little candle getting blown out by the wind. It is a massive light. It's a massive city on a hill. It's, uh, you can't hide it. This light cannot be hidden. But the problem is that I don't think we really believe that it really takes all of us in unity together and devoted to all of these kinds of rhythms of life according to God's design to be that kind of a light. And what did he say is going to happen? Y'all got distracted by my y'alls. But what did he say was going to happen at the end? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So God's design for us is to live according to these rhythms. And if you don't come away from this message, at least understanding that that's what the Word's trying to communicate here, whether you agree with it or not, then you're missing something. But the second part of it is that God's design for us is that through salvation and through our togetherness, he is glorified. That's what he's after. That's, that's what he's looking for. Not, not because he's up there going, I'm so self-centered. I want everybody to look at me. I want everybody to glorify me. But he's saying that because if he's the most glorious thing in the universe, why would he want any of us to miss out on that? Why would he want us to miss out on that? It's not self-centered for Him to want us to glorify Him because he, we, he knows that when we glorify Him, that's going to fulfill everything in us. It's going to satisfy everything. All of the brokenness, all of the sin, all of the, the messed upness of this world that we're in and our own personal lives, the destruction and the kind of the path of 
of nonsense that we leave behind us through our sinful actions and the sinful actions of others that we've experienced. All of it gone in the glory of God. That's what he's after. That's what he wants us to be. That's what he's created us to be. He wants us to be together. Are you together? Are you together? That's a plural you, by the way. Are you all together? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, we worship you. We are together in this place. We are, um, we're out in the beauty of your creation. Pretty awesome experience to be together like this. It's a pretty awesome experience knowing that wherever we gather, whether it's in the park when we worship, whether it's in the community center when we worship, whether it's in the cafeteria of the elementary school when we worship together, or whether it's in our homes um, experiencing our missional community together, or whether it's in our homes just uh, having a party and... and Celebrating somebody's birthday or watching a sporting event together or playing games together. God, we're, we're, we're called to be together. And, and you didn't call us to that because you wanted to give us one more thing to do with our lives. You actually just want to transform our lives. Transform them from being all about uh, me and, and self and my, my comfort and my happiness. Um, but to be about your people, to be about your community. And in doing so, God, we will experience growth. We will experience your glory spreading to others. God, thank you. Thank you for the grace of your Son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us salvation. Thank you for healing our brokenness. God, we know uh, things are not the way they should be. Some of, for some of us, the brokenness, it, it feels really obvious. For some of us, the brokenness is so, so deep down inside, we feel like we can hide it and hide it really well. But it's there nonetheless. Even though people don't notice it, the only answer for each and every one of us is the grace of your son Jesus. The only answer for the world around us is the grace of your son Jesus. We ask for you to be glorified. Glorified in us, glorified in our community, in our city. So that day by day, uh, day by day you will save those who you've prepared and you have called. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we come to a time of response, and so I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, and um, the music is going to play a recorded song, and I um, want to in invite you, you can sing along, or um, maybe you need to spend some time in prayer, or maybe you need to, maybe you'd like to come up here and make a response um, uh, to me. Um, maybe you'd like to, like me to pray for you about something. Um, maybe you need to say, God's been speaking to me about this, I need to share it. 
Uh, maybe there's some other decision that you made. We have baptism coming up um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe you want to come up and declare publicly your desire to be baptized. Um, share that with the family so that they can be together with you on that. Um, whatever it might be, um, this is a time to respond as God has called you. So stand with me, um, would you, and we'll, uh, we'll hear and listen and sing.